Hello there, studio music teacher friends. Welcome to the Beyond Measure podcast with me, Christina Whitlock, your anytime piano teacher friend. This is a space designed to offer you a little camaraderie in the chaos of your music teacher life. (laughs) This summer, I am offering up a little tour through my bookshelf, highlighting a few favorite aspects of a few favorite books. Up today is the book I offer up anytime people ask me about my favorite book on music teaching. Don't get me wrong, there are lots of great books out there on this topic. I kind of hate to claim a favorite, but today's selection takes the cake for me. Are you ready? (laughs) Let's get to it. Intelligent Music Teaching is a compilation of essays by Professor Robert Duke. It aligns with all of my strongest teacher values, things like challenging that which we've done in the past, reconsidering the actual art of learning, examining the difficult realities of teacher life, and, you know, all the things. And first of all, I just need to say that I love books that are essentially collections of essays. You're going to see one of them from me one of these days. I promise. (laughs) Here's the overall structure of this book. There's a great preface followed by eight substantial essays on the following topics. Precision in language and thought. What to teach. Assessment sequencing information, feedback, transfer, effecting change, and finally, a teaching life. So what you're seeing here is just an overview of pretty much every part of the learning process, right? Duke examines how we speak, what we teach and when, how we assess our students' progress, how we can help them carry ideas from one setting to another, and a host of other teacher-related issues. That's good stuff, right? You need to know that Duke is most certainly an academic. To say he speaks with a robust vocabulary is an understatement. I used this book with my college pedagogy students consistently, and they were always relentless about Duke's use of language. In fact, the last group of students I took through this book actually competed with one another to find what they considered to be the most verbose sentences. (laughs) My goal in this summer bookshelf tour is to offer up three takeaways from each book of the week. That is going to be really hard to do here, but I'm going to try. One of my very favorite qualities of this book is the way that Duke unashamedly challenges previous conventions in teaching. He is quick to call out the things that he finds ridiculous, and he's not shy about doing so. That's another something that would keep my college students really entertained. For example, in his preface, he calls so many of us out by talking about his frustration attending music teacher conferences when so many of the sessions focus on like how-to activities rather than the why behind them. He says this, 
I am less surprised by a presenter's decision to lead a group of intelligent, musically literate adults through a series of activities designed for third graders than I am disappointed by the extent to which the session attendees seem to like it. (laughs) Ouch, right? (laughs) But he goes on to say, I certainly understand the inherent pleasures of music making, even singing six little ducks in a hotel ballroom with 400 other teachers. (laughs) Well, I sort of understand. But to leave the room with nothing more than a new activity for Monday with no greater understanding of the fundamental principles of human learning, is to leave the room without having learned anything of lasting value. Okay. (laughs) Well, first of all, I have sat in many a hotel ballroom and sang many songs like Six Little Ducks, (laughs) and I quite enjoyed myself. (laughs) But again, I will say that Duke has a real point here. Simply finding a new activity for the next week just feels like settling for less. This is one of my hang-ups in the studio teaching profession. From time to time, we all get stuck on activities or repertoire sequences or assignments that make it feel like we're moving down a static checklist. You know, we fill time. Maybe we're even entertaining about it. But I am on a mission to help teachers recognize that they are the method. Francis Clark had it right all those years ago, my friends. <laughs> the teacher is the method. And all of our resources and activities are simply that. Resources and activities. We need to stop seeing our lesson experience as like supervising students through the material. And we need to take a more active role in examining the learning process. We need to stop blindly following the materials we use and instead use those materials to fit our vision and our sequencing instead. Okay, (laughs) I hopped up on my soapbox there, didn't I? (laughs) Well, I should mention quickly that this is exactly what I'm presenting on at NCKP in July. I'm giving a session titled The Teacher as the Method. Learn to depend less on method books and more on your individual expertise. Interestingly enough, guess who is presenting at the same time as me? Robert Duke, author of Intelligent Music Teaching. So I'm kind of thinking I might have to skip my own session to go hear his, but I'll keep you posted. Back to the book. I promise that we will move past this preface momentarily, but I need to say this. The approach that Duke suggests to us here in this book is definitely not easy. Sometimes I wish that I didn't care so deeply about the big picture, because it's a lot easier just to work step by step and do this and now do that. But I would also contend that when we approach music instruction that way, we lose quite a few students in the cracks. We'll think things like, wow, that student just doesn't get it. When really, we just haven't assessed the situation quite properly yet. 
The second takeaway I will offer from Duke's book is a reminder that teaching does not always result in learning. (laughs) Friends, you as a teacher can be instructing your hiney off. (laughs) You can be saying all of the right things and demonstrating all the right things and be doing all of it in what someone has determined to be the right order. (laughs) But just because you are on your game, that does not mean your student is learning anything that you are saying or doing. This is actually one of my core principles that I discuss in the Studio Foundations course. So if you are intrigued at all by digging deeper into this idea, I would encourage you to go check out christinawhitlock.com foundations, or just find the course link in the show notes for this episode. I am running a low-key, low-commitment session this summer, and if you can give me one hour a week for six weeks, I promise to help you get ready for your best teaching year yet. I've got a great group of teachers signed up this year, and I am already so excited for this journey that I'm going to take them on. But anyway, suffice to say, as Duke aptly points out on page 91, it's not the talking part, what you do. It's the doing part, what they do, that matters most. I'm sitting here really waffling on what to focus on for my third takeaway today. Uh, There's just so much good stuff here, but let's go with this. (laughs) To quote Robert Duke at the beginning of his chapter on sequencing instruction, he says, On any given day, a teacher can make any student seem like the most capable, competent learner or the most bumbling, incompetent boob on the planet according to the sequence of tasks that the teacher asks the learner to do. (laughs) I just have to read this stuff in Duke's own word, friends. He's so direct and so perfect. (laughs) Duke goes on to say that we're pretty good at remembering those moments in which we're working with a student and the light bulb goes off for them and we feel amazing about our quality instruction. (laughs) Now he's right. I think we all carry some of those moments with us. They're a huge part of why a lot of us keep doing this kind of work, right? Duke also interestingly contends that we are less likely to remember the times that a student flounders because we introduce concepts out of sequence, which I agree sometimes ends up happening a lot more than we realize. Duke says something mildly controversial here, that we are responsible for our students' failures just as much as we are responsible for their successes. Hmm, that's interesting, right? (laughs) To be clear, he's talking about short-term success, like what happens during the lesson itself, not a student's overall long-term musical progression, because, of course, there are lots of factors at play there. But I kind of love this, even if it's a tough pill to swallow. How a student performs in their lesson is a direct reflection of what we are asking them to do. And if we are asking them to do something that they are not prepared to do, then we haven't set them up correctly. Maybe we introduce a piece of repertoire that is indeed a good choice for them, but maybe we also neglect to set them up for it in the right way. 
This can be quite a rabbit hole, believe me. But I will say that there are so many aspects of teaching the piano and other instruments as well, where multiple concepts have become conflated with one another, even though they are actually very different skills. One of my pet projects in life includes developing supplementary materials for piano teachers that help deconstruct steps of the learning process that have become unnecessarily linked together. I hope one of these days that some of them will start to see the light of day and you'll know what I'm talking about. (laughs) So that was the third point. Now, I would be remiss not to at least mention Duke's chapter on transfer, because there is some really good stuff there. What he points out about physical and intellectual skills and how we set students up to carry information over from one piece to another is really important. And he also makes some very strong points in his chapter on feedback and, well, shoot, I just love the whole stinking book. (laughs) Not because I agree with every single word he says, although I do think they all have merit. But again, this is why I love a book that follows a format of a collection of essays. Duke isn't claiming to have given us the definitive guide on teaching music here. He definitely does not provide us with a how-to guide, right? As we mentioned at the top of the episode, he doesn't like that. (laughs) But I have so much respect for the way this book, Intelligent Music Teaching, challenges teachers to actually teach this art of playing an instrument as opposed to what so many resources do, which is to give us a sequence of musical exercises to follow. Ah, are you feeling inspired, friends? Convicted? I don't know. I hope you're feeling something good. (laughs) Let's raise our glasses now in a toast to all of the intelligence involved in our own music teaching. (laughs) Studio teacher friends from all around the world, I am reminded today how much we can all still learn about this work we do. (laughs) I know you agree with me on that. I think complacency in teaching is one of the most bothersome things that can happen to an educator. May we all take Duke's lead and not allow ourselves to be content with endless streams of how-to exercises. All the worksheets and new repertoire in the world cannot teach a student how to play the piano if the teacher doesn't first understand the process of learning. As my friend Jana Williamson says, may we always be students of our students. May we study how they learn. (laughs) May we consider more of how we learn ourselves. Because, of course, before we can teach it, we've got to do it ourselves, right? We have such important work to do, friends. And that's why I'm celebrating you today. Cheers to you for showing up and giving your best to this magical (laughs) and sometimes maddening profession of ours. Here, here. Oh, friends, I could sit here and talk about intelligent music teaching all 
day. My college students and I used to have what I called book club day every other week or so, where we would work through a chapter of this book at a time. It was so fun to hear the perspectives of newer teachers as they made their way through Duke's work. There's something about seeing students who still have completely idyllic perspectives on teaching, you know, who haven't been tainted with all the trappings of our profession yet, that, I don't know, it just made for endlessly fascinating discussions. Anyway, feel free to hit me up to discuss this book anytime. Be sure we are Facebook and Instagram friends, and feel free to drop me a message anytime. The show notes for today's episode have all kinds of goodies, including links to related episodes and information about that summer session of the Studio Foundations course. I would love to see you on the inside over there. Onward and upward, teacher friends! Next week, we tackle a book that I reread every January. Should I tell you what it is, or should I leave you hanging? Hmm.